You are now listening to an awesome sermon from the St. Louis Dream Center. Grab a pen and some paper, you're in for a treat. about how to pray and, and some of the greatest battles that you would ever fight as a human being. But in everything, you know, we talked about how to fight in the heavens and, and how our prayers impact what's going on, even beyond what we can see, feel, taste, smell, and, and touch. But today I want to talk about something that is really, you know, at times we forget about it because it almost seems so natural. But it's really one of the most spiritual fights that we're going to fight, and that's the fight in our minds. Because if we don't win the battle, you know, the, the devil is already defeated. I mean, the bottom line is that Jesus took him out at the cross. And when he went into hell on our behalf, he went there so we wouldn't have to go there. And the Bible says that not only did he go there so we wouldn't have to go, but he took the keys of hell and death out of the hands of the enemy. Which means that he took all power, all authority, all dominion back from the enemy. So whatever was dominating you when you come to Jesus no longer has the right to dominate you now that you're a child of God. But in this fight, the Bible tells us that we don't use worldly weapons. We use different types of weapons. And we talked about the blood of Jesus last week. And, you know, the name of Jesus is another weapon that we get a chance to use. But, but I want to give you, um, when we're talking about the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus, there is a, a strong weapon that we get to use, which is called the word of God. And in this second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, we see where Paul is talking to a church and he's trying to instruct them on how to fight correctly. And it's found in chapter, chapter 10, verse 3. That's where it starts. So when you get it, take a look at it with me. And this is what it says. For we don't walk in the flesh, or we don't walk in the flesh And therefore, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And then it says here in verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive into the obedience of God. So when we're looking at that scripture, that scripture is telling us that, listen, we don't fight the way the world fights. You know, when you're fighting people, you've already lost because that's not how we fight. We fight with different weapons, weapons that that have been given to us by God. And it says that the one battle that every single one of us is going to have to fight is the battle between our ears. Because I tell you, before you ever took a drink, before you ever stepped out and did the thing that you didn't want to do, the thing that brought you your greatest regret, that brought you your greatest heartache, before you ever stepped out and did that, you spent time thinking about it before you did it. And I love this statement by Joyce. Uh, she says that where the mind goes, the man's going to follow, the woman's going to follow. So wherever your thoughts are, your body, your actions are going to follow it. And Peter tells us this, says, be sober, be vigilant, 
because your enemy is like a roaring lion sinking who he can take out. And I love that thought, roaring lion, because roaring lion isn't, you know, we know that, that lions are terrifying, but a roaring lion means that it's like that dog that has a, a, a large bark, but not as much bite. That's what it's talking about in that moment, that Satan is like a roaring lion. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to intimidate you. He's trying to mess with you. He's the one that's telling you you'll never be free of your addiction. You'll never be able to have a good relationship. You'll never be successful. You'll never come out of the situation that you're in. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to intimidate you. Because if he can get you to believe him, then you'll start acting on what you believe. And the greatest place of battle in our prayer life is going to be in our heads. That's why that book that Joyce came out with, The Battlefield of the Mind, was so powerful and it's still selling. Because people know over and over again, man, if you lose the battle here, you can't win at all. And one of the greatest areas that Satan uses is our imagination. He will use your imagination to get you hemmed up. It's like the... This statement in here about the power of the imagination, it says that the imagination is the ability to form a mental image of something that is not perceived through my five senses. It is the ability of the mind to create a mental picture of an event that doesn't even exist. So it's like, man. In your imagination, Satan can throw you something that doesn't even exist. You understand how fear works? Like 90% of your fears really never come to pass. But guess what? Satan put an image in your head of something, and it is so real to you that you will begin to act on something that never would be. It wouldn't even come to pass. As a matter of fact, he'll jack you up so much that you'll make it come to pass even though it would have never come to pass had you not acted on it. You know, many of us self-destruct because we have these things that Satan drops into our imagination. And, and you know, we understand the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. And, and God uses our imagination to get us to, 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 to get us to see things. Because remember, it said that imagination operates outside of my five senses, just like faith does. So therefore, when I'm using my imagination, what God has given me for good, Satan uses it to try and destroy me. Like, if I can say this, wherever you are right now, if you can't see where you want to be, you'll be stuck right where you are. Because without my imagination, I can only focus on what's in front of me, what I see. I can only focus on my past. But my imagination allows me an opportunity to see a future that isn't real right now, but I can move towards later on. As a matter of fact, fear, worry, and faith all use your imagination to help create the future that's out in front of you. Check this out. Think about it like this. Everybody's getting laid off. You hear a story. Everybody's getting laid off. It's it's circulating around the business. And what you start doing is you start imagining or worrying about being laid off. Nobody's even talked to you about being laid off. But because you heard it, the devil grabs it and starts building a mental image of what it's going to be like when you get laid off. 
So it's like, okay, they're going to lay me off and I'm going to lose my car. I'm going to be sleeping in an alley. I'm going to lose my house. My, my wife or my kids or my family is going to leave me. And you've gone down this whole rabbit trail of thoughts that aren't even real. But because the image was planted in your mind, you acting like it's real. Here's a, here's a funny part. Because you already think that you're going to be fired or let go, you come in one day and you're like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore anyway. And you walk in the business and you cuss everybody out and blast everybody out and you do all of this stuff. Why? Not because anybody ever said to you that you were going to be laid off, but you heard that it might happen and the enemy jumped into your imagination and you believed what he said and you start acting on it. Have you ever self-sabotaged yourself for something that really wasn't going to happen and you thought it was going to happen, but it really didn't happen and you were the one that made it come to happen, come to pass? Isn't it crazy? I mean, but that's how powerful the imagination is. But God also uses our imagination to create the future that he has in store for us. Because, see, when you believe by faith that God has something greater for you, Now you use your imagination, and even though everything in your life looks like the opposite right now, you say, you know what? I know what it's going to be like when I get past this season. I'm imagining the car that I'm going to drive. I'm imagining the house that I'm going to live in. I'm already seeing the neighborhood that I want to live in. And guess what? Because you're thinking it, what happens is you're gravitating towards the thing that you imagine. That's how powerful the imagination is. And when we think about this, so, so that's why the devil wants your mind so bad. Listen, he can't beat you. And the thing is, he's not going to come straight on anymore because he knows that if you see him coming, you got the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and the word of God to take him out. So what is he trying to do? He comes through the back door or a side entrance, starts messing with your mind so that you can defeat yourself. You understand? You are one bad thought away from going back to an old habit, an old addiction, an old way of living that, that didn't bring you the life that you want. And I know you, you, you sometimes think, well, no, that's not that bad. I mean, it's just a thought. That's just a thought. But when you understand how powerful your thoughts are and what Satan does with that, you'll be like, no, it's not just a thought. I need to cast this thought down before it takes root in my heart and I start acting on it. And here's the thing that you've got. It's these three R's that I want to give you that that's going to help you because we have to start thinking about what we think about. You can't just let rabbit trail thoughts run into your mind and just say, oh, it's just a thought. The first thing that you got to do when thoughts come to your head is recognize. You got to recognize where's this thought coming from? Why do I feel like punching this person in the face? Where'd that thought come from? Where'd the thought come from that I want to do something that's illegal or do something that's wrong? Where'd that thought come from? You got to recognize where the thought comes from. Because if you don't recognize where the thought comes from, can I tell you this? Every single one of us is going to be tempted. We're all going to be tempted. And that's Satan putting a thought in our mind. So when you have a bad thought come to your mind, that's not sin. 
It's when you take that thought and you start rolling it around that it becomes sin, which means you own the thought. So when you recognize that a thought isn't a God thought, it's like, no, I'm casting that thing out in the name of Jesus. And then after you recognize, you got to resist. James chapter four, verse seven tells us, submit yourselves to God. Then resist the devil. And guess what he's got to do? He's got to what? Flee. So if I first submit to God, which means in this thought, I'm recognizing, is this you, God, or is this the devil, or is this me? And I submit the thought to him to say, if this isn't a thought from you, then I don't want this thought. Then the second thing I do is when I recognize where it's coming from, I resist the thought. I'm not taking that in. And then the third thing you do is you repeat. Because guess what? He's coming back. It's coming back again. So I recognize it. I resist it. Then I got to repeat it all over again. Can I tell you this? No matter where you are in life, whether you struggle with whatever, with women, with, with embezzlement, with stealing, with lying, whatever, and you've gotten victory over that thing, guess what? Your victory lived out beyond the moment is only going to be as good as your thought life is. And so when we recognize these things and we resist them and then we repeat it again, we can keep the devil out of our stuff. So let's use Jesus. Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11, gives us a picture. How many of y'all know Jesus was tempted too? Just like we were tempted, he was tempted. And so when he went into, the the Bible says in verse 1 that the spirit led him into the wilderness or the desert. So it's crazy to think that, that I'll tell you, there'll be moments in your life where God's ready to promote you or take you to the next level or do something significant for you. He's going to test you. Can you handle what I got in store for you? And what he does here is he gives us a picture that he does this with Jesus And Jesus was tempted by the tempter. And it says that the the devil came to him and he says, hey, 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 Jesus. You're the son of God. You fasted for 40 days. I know you're hungry. And what he tried to do in that moment was he was trying to tempt Jesus with his appetite. Because check this out. If any of us have fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, we're going to be hungry. And what he tried to do was get Jesus to feed his appetite illegally. See, God has given us all, you know, he's created us with an appetite as men. Sex is there. But what Satan wants to do is to get you to fulfill that thing illegally with somebody that's not your wife. And for us as men, and and women don't deal with this as much, but It is, we have these three things that we're always looking for, sex, money, or power. It's for us like the the golden nuggets if we have those. And, And everybody has something that is their appetite. And I'll tell you this, what Satan wants to do, he studied you since you were a kid. He knows your appetites. See, the reason why we keep getting tripped up is because Satan knows our appetites, but we haven't paid attention to our appetites. And so while you think that something's just okay, Satan's like, oh, yeah. I see him looking. I see her stepping. 
I see her doing something. He's like, I got you now. Because what he is, is he's calculated. He's not in a rush to trip you up. He'll take his time. And what he does here with Jesus is he starts messing with his appetites. But guess what Jesus says? He said, nah, men don't live by bread alone. They live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so what Satan did, okay, I got, he knows the word of God. Let me move on to something else. And then he says, okay, Jesus. And the Bible says that he took him to the, the holy city of Jerusalem and put him on a high place. Now, some theologians say that he actually took Jesus there. And others say that he was in Jesus' mind showing him these high places. And he says to him, hey, hey, you're the son of God. Jump off. You could do it. And Jesus is like, mm. And then Satan dives in a little more and says, listen. The Bible says that God would command his angels and give them charge over you so you don't even dash your foot against the stone. So come on, Jesus, just jump just because you want to. But see, Jesus recognized that this was a test of pride because what the enemy wanted to do was get him to act independent of his father's will because that wasn't something that God wanted him to do. So he's trying to get him to step out of the will. And Jesus is like, no, I will not put my father to a foolish test man how many of us have tested God in moments it's like we just we we know we shouldn't go to the spot we know we shouldn't involve ourselves in that activity but we'll go and do it and say okay God protect me thank you that you with me while I'm in the club tonight about 2 a.m when people are gonna start shooting thank you Lord Thank you that you, and it's like we put God to these tests and then we're mad when God doesn't come through for us when we're the ones that put us in the situation. And Jesus is like, nah, mm -mm. I'm not putting God to the test. And then the third one, he says, he took him to a very high mountain and said, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to give you all of this. All of this is mine to give to you and I'm going to give it to you so that you can have it. And, And Jesus said, you know what, nah. Get away from me, Satan. You must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He was trying now to get Jesus with the lust of his eyes. Because he was showing him what he could have. How many of us have been tripped up with what we see? We see something and think that it's going to bring us the thing that we want. But it's not. And I'll tell you, as men... Satan uses our eyes more than he does the women because God has made us visual. But the bottom line is this. When you walk by faith and not by sight, you can be looking straight at something and know if that's not what God wants for you, he's got something better for you and you don't get locked up in that thing. And so Jesus said, you know what? Nah, mm-mm. get away from me. I'm only going to worship and serve God. And guess what the devil did after that? He fleed. So then we understand a principle that when I know the word of God and I can, I can articulate the word of God, that Satan can't stand up against the word of God. Say this with me. I have power over the enemy. Now, I need you to say it like you really mean it. Show it like you really got it in your heart. I have power over the enemy. 
Do you know what that means? That means everything that once defeated you, you can now defeat. Everything that once hemmed you in, everything that once locked you up, everything that once held you captive from what God has in store for you, you have the power over that thing. But guess what? If you don't believe it, you can't live it. You can't. I remember 18 years ago, 19 years ago, when I walked away from God altogether after serving him for eight years. And I remember what led to me walking away. I started getting caught up with thoughts that he was playing in my mind. This ain't real. Is this really what you want to do? I got so much. You you can go back to school and get your business degree and, and do so many different things in this church thing. And because at that season of my life, I was going through a difficult storm. I started listening to those thoughts. And it's crazy that when I found myself in that one-bedroom apartment all by myself, a day about, uh, one day from being homeless, not having a place for, for myself, for my family, and I'm sitting there in that apartment, I'm like, man, how did I get here? I had everything. I had the car that I wanted. I had the, the life that I wanted. How did I end up here? And when I retraced my steps... I let thoughts come in and I started entertaining them. And I started allowing, I, I started letting those thoughts become bigger than the word of God because my situation wasn't easy in that season. And I ended up walking away from God for two and a half years. And it was two and a half of the most miserable years that I've ever spent on this earth. And when I made the decision to come back to God, I had to overcome other thoughts. You're not worthy. You spit in God's face with the way that you lived over these past couple of years. Why would God want somebody like you? Why would he ever take you back? Why would he ever have you preach the Bible to anybody again? And I'm sitting and I'm wrestling with all of these thoughts, man. And I'm trying to get my life back. But all I can see is what he's showing me. And one day I made a decision. And I remember saying it. I said, God, here, take my life. Not, not kill me, take <laughs> But I remember saying, God, take it. It's yours. Do whatever you want to do with it. I have proven what I can do in my life. Now I'm fully surrendering to you. And that one day in that one bedroom apartment in Spanish Lake, when I prayed that prayer and said, you can have all of me, something shifted in my heart. And I remember being going into this place where I start reading the stories of David and start reading Psalms 51. Purge me with hyssop so I can be clean. Wash me so I can be whiter than snow. Don't take your presence from me, God. And I remember praying that prayer over and over again. And then another scripture I found in Jeremiah where it says, I take your sins and I throw them into the sea of forgetfulness, never to remember them again. And every time the memory of my sin came back to my remembrance, I reminded it of where it was. Every time the guilt tried to come back, every time the condemnation tried to come back, the lies tried to come back that I wasn't worthy, I had to verbally speak to those things. And I remember saying, no, my sins have been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness and God doesn't even remember them anymore. So if God doesn't remember my sin, why would I remember my sin? 
Family members will remind me of it. People that were close will remind me of it. And even when they reminded me of it, I would just say, nah, see, see, God has taken my sin and he's thrown it in the sea of forgetfulness, never to remember it again. And I would, man, I'm telling you over and over again, because the temptation for me in that season was in this battlefield in my mind to give up and quit. And here's the interesting thing. When Satan gets your mind like that, he knows I can't stop you, but I can get you to stop you. And I made the choice that I'm diving into the word of God. And for the rest of my life, I am who God says I am. I'm going to do what God says do. I'm going to take the word of God and I'm going to live it out like it's real. Because I'll tell you, at that point in time of my life, can I be real? I didn't know. I thought it was real. And then I walked away from it all. And then in walking away and coming back, I found out how real it was, but I had to make a decision. Am I going to be that person who says, well, the word is real, but it's real only over here. Or it's only going to be real in places that I want it to be. Or will I make the decision to say the word of God is the power of God. It is real and I'm going to live by it. And that's where I learned these last three principles that I want to give you. I learned, number one, that what the word of God does, it exposes. It exposes the lies of the enemy. Because to tell you the truth, in our humanness, we don't know what's real and what's a lie. So how do I know something isn't real? Because the bottom line is this. You did rob the liquor store. You did sleep with somebody you shouldn't have slept with. You, You did go to jail for whatever time. You did make the mistake that you made. So how can I say that when those thoughts come to my mind that that's a lie when it's condemning me for what I've already done? Well, the only way I know that something is a lie is I have to know the truth. And the truth is this, that what the word of God says about me is, who, is the truth of who I am. So when those thoughts come to me and they say, you're a liar, you're a, you're a this, you're a that, I come back and I say, no, no, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are past. All things have become new. And it's like, well, Pastor Tony, that doesn't make sense. Listen, you have to make the decision. Yes, it's what you did, but it's not who you are. And if you can learn to separate what you did from who you are, then your life begins to change. Do you realize if I wasn't able to separate my who from my do from the past, I would still be living there. I wouldn't be at this church. I wouldn't have my wife. I wouldn't have my life. I would still be trying to find a place to live. But because one day I got into the word of God and said, God, I am who you say I am. I'll do what you tell me to do. One day, one moment, one decision decision one step at a time my life begin to shift and when it begin to shift and I start getting momentum I'm like dang this thing is real let me do it again and as I did it over and over and over again I saw wow these principles work and when I felt like I was defeated in a moment I'd go to the word of God and he'd tell me no you're more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you and died for you dang then I'm gonna believe that and I'm gonna get up today and keep stepping 
And every day when the lie would come, I would throw truth back at it. And as I threw the truth at it, life began to change. He exposes the lies. Listen, you've been lied to. You've been deceived. Just because you're sitting in this moment and maybe one of the most difficult times of your life, the most frustrating times of your life is not an indication that God doesn't love you and he doesn't have more in store for you. You are just in a moment. But if you can believe right in your moment what God says about you, it changes what you do and you begin to walk different. And five years from now, you'd be like, wow, who would have thought that I would be living here doing this? And I love about it because the the truth of God's word exposes the lies even that your family tells you, that your teachers have told you. And it's real. It's like when the devil says that you can't, guess what? The Bible says you can't. When he's told you that he says you're ugly, nobody wants anything to do with you. Guess what? The Bible says in Psalms 139 that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When the Bible, uh, it, when the devil says you're weak, the Bible says, let the weak say I'm strong. When, it, when the devil tells you you'll never amount to anything, the Bible tells you in Jeremiah 29 and 11, guess what? I have a great plan in store for you. It exposes the lies when I allow that word to get inside of my heart. And I tell you, if you ever make the commitment to live the Bible like it's real, it will change everything. Because everything you've been taught has led you to this moment. Everything that you believed has led you right here where you are. Wherever you are. And if you want to be in a different place five years from now, You believe that word and start walking it out like it's real. It works. Number two, it changes. The word changes. And you know what it changes? It changes me by changing the way that I think. It is this, I was watching this YouTube video a couple of days ago. And it talks about why rich people can say rich and why poor people say poor. And it says what we've been taught as youngsters growing up, who we've been surrounded by, determines the way we think. And it's not our conscious mind, it's our subconscious mind that's at work. And so rich people who have rich kids can stay rich and not really do anything on purpose because of the way they've been trained and the way they've been taught. And those that grew up poor can stay poor without really doing anything because that's what they've been taught. So for you to change your status in life, you got to change the way you think. And when you begin to change the way you think, you change the circle of people that you hang out with. Can I, can I just ask you this? Where you are in this season of your life, who are you hanging with? Were the people you were hanging with doing the same thing that you were doing? Because most times you gravitate to what the crowd is doing around you. But man, when you begin to think different, 
Can I tell you, when God began to renew my mind in Romans chapter 12 tells us that don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that lets me know when I receive Jesus, I've changed my heavenly address. I'm no longer going to hell, but I'm going to heaven. But I don't get to see transformation in my life until I get the word of God in me and allow it to. And can I tell you, when God began to transform the way that I think, I changed friend groups. I started hanging out with different people that thought like I thought. As a matter of fact, if I can tell you this straight up, I started hanging out with people that thought on another level than the one that I thought. I wanted to, like, I want to be a millionaire. So you know what I want to do? I want to find a couple millionaire friends, hang out with them, get some Starbucks, and learn how they think. Because what you hang around with eventually becomes what your life looks like. And so I learned in that season of coming back to God and then getting back into that place, I needed to hang out with the word of God. So I would read three chapters in the morning, one chapter at lunch, and three chapters at night. And this is the reason why I did it. I'm not throwing that off on you, but if it catches, it does. The reason why is because my thinking was so jacked up that I needed an overhaul. So I said, let me get into the Bible and let me look at it over and over again. And what began to happen is my thinking changed and my life changed. And it's interesting how some old things still kind of hang around and you still got to deal with them. There's like a couple of, a few days ago, I'm at the Galleria walking around. Well, at a store near the Galleria walking around near Nordstrom Rack right off of uh, Brentwood. And I'm walking around. And as I'm walking and just shopping, and every time I get close to somebody, I speed up. And I'm sitting there, and it's like, okay, there was one guy in front of me, and I did it. Then there was a lady in front of me, and I did it. I'm like, man, what is, what's going on? And I started examining my thoughts. And the reason why I would speed up is because I'm an African-American male in West County, and I'm thinking that people will be threatened by me. So I speed up so they can see me and not think that I'm trying to come up behind them. That's real talk. And I make it down to the bread company and make it back. And the Holy Spirit begins to just speak to me. So what are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, walking to keep people from being intimidated and thinking that I'm going to do something to them. He says, you know, you're not going to do anything to those people. As a matter of fact, if they needed your help, you'd be one of the first people that would step out and help them. So he says, Tony, instead of sitting there thinking, because that was something that was ingrained in me as a kid growing up on the north side of St. Louis. And so it just kind of stuck. And I didn't even trip off the fact that it was thinking, uh, stuck there. And, you know, the Holy Spirit said to me at that time, he said, Tony, stop tripping off of that. Just walk. You know who you are. Just walk. And I want to give this to you today, that today you're not who you used to be. You're not the person that, that you used to be. And stop thinking of yourself in the way that you used to think of yourself. And listen, if people want to think of you the way that they think of you, that's all right. They can do that all they want to because they're not your creator. They're not your father. They're not your daddy. They're not your God. 
So you let them think what they want to think, but you own who you are in this season. God says that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He says that you've been bought with the blood of the lamb, that you are high and lifted up. And guess what he tells us? We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you're not who you used to be. And then the last thing, I just got to say this. You're not an addict. You're not a liar. You're not a manipulator. You're not gaming. That's not who you are. That's what you used to do, but that's not who you are. And when you begin to change who you think, who you see yourself as, you begin to change what you do. So stop holding on to those old labels and old titles and old things that people used to call you and stuff that you used to hold as a badge of honor. That's not who you are today. You're, you're the child of God and you are God's masterpiece, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us. And then the last one, the word of God is living. It's living. It's alive. Hebrews 4, 12 It says, for the word of God is living and it is active. So the word of God is alive. So that means I can speak a word of God right here in St. Louis. And because it's alive, it can go over into Australia and heal somebody. It can go over into New Zealand and heal somebody. It can go where my kids are, where my family is, and I can't be there and I can't touch them. But because I pray and I'm praying the word of God, that word can go wherever they are and it can heal them right there on the spot. And I close with this, because the enemy has been disarmed, disabled, and rendered powerless in your life. The only power that he has is what you give him. But I close with this story about the power of his word. Kenneth Copeland was at his mother's house one day, and his aunt was in the hospital, and she was, you know, near death. And the hospital called his mom and was like, you need to get here and, and see your sister. She's about to die. And so Kenneth, Kenneth Copeland's mother's grabbing and said, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And, and Kenneth is kind of rushing to, the, to go. And, and the Holy Spirit told him, wait a moment. Ask me how to pray. And it's crazy because as they're rush, rushing, Kenneth stops. And the mother's like, what are you doing? It's, we got to go. We got to get there so we can see my sister before she dies. We got to go. And, and Kenneth pauses and said, no, let's, the Holy Spirit says pray. And so they prayed in that moment. And when they made it to the hospital, she was sitting up in the bed, whole and healed. See, we think we got to be there. We think, okay, let me rush to this spot. I got to go. It's an emergency uh, wherever you are. But sometimes you just got to step back for a moment and say, God, how should I pray? And when you send his word, his word can get there faster than you can drive. His word can get there faster than you can get there. As a matter of fact, when your places, my kids are away in college right now, and I can't be with them all the time, and I don't know what they're doing all the time, but you know what I'm doing every single day? I am sending that word to Columbia. I'm sending that word to Warrensburg. I'm sending that word to Indiana, and I'm saying, angels, watch over my kids according to Psalms 91, and I plead the blood of Jesus over them, and I declare things, and guess what? Even though I'm hundreds of miles away from them because I'm sending the word it is the word that's keeping them and the word will do the same for your family 
in your absence. And the word will do the same in your situation. But you've got to understand that there's a war going on in your head. And if you don't fight, that, that those thoughts will take you to places that you don't want to go. So today, commit to thinking about what you're thinking about and letting God overtake those thoughts and becoming who he says you are, not who you used to be. Amen? Well, Father, we thank you right now for your presence. Thank you for your word. God, let the word sink deep within our hearts, beyond our thoughts and into our hearts, that it becomes so real to us, that it's more real than what we see, feel, taste, touch, and smell. And it is more real to us than our past, more real to us than even some of the things in our present. Thank you that your word is alive and active. And it is actively moving on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you enjoyed that message. If you live in the St. Louis area or ever plan to visit, we'd love for you to join us at one of our services at 4324 Margareta at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Be blessed. We hope to worship with you soon.